mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this time as we can focus our minds and our heart uh, to your word. Lord, we ask that we would, uh, Lord, approach your word tonight with humility, with openness, uh, with thoughtfulness. Lord, that you would use this time and space uh, to transform us, that we would sense the power that comes through engaging in your written and your spoken word. And Holy Spirit, we know that you make known the deep truths of God to us. And so we ask that you would make known to each of us what is necessary and what, God, you desire for us to see and to follow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, church. It's good to be back. I missed everybody. Um, it's a little update on the Brown family. Uh, the Brown family is now officially a family of four. We are. Yes, thank you. Awesome. Amazing. Uh, on April 12th, uh, Jordan was born to us, a little baby boy. Uh, very unexpected. He was born at 34 weeks. And uh, I just have to give a big props to the University of Miami healthcare system that I know a lot of you are a part of the school and the residency and fellowship program there, and also Jackson Memorial did an incredible job caring for uh, my wife, Jessica, and for uh, our new son, Jordan. Just amazing. A great, great service, great quality um, there. Uh, Jordan was in NICU for 12 days, and uh, that was not easy. That was difficult for us. Uh, but, you know, the Lord gave us strength. And what he kept, continued to remind us is that that's exactly where he needed to be. And uh, he was really well cared for, and we figured it out. And Roman and I had a lot of good one-on-one father-son time. And uh, Roman is now loving being a big brother. He absolutely loves his little brother, Jordan. And Jessica is recovering really well, and Jordan is growing and eating and doing the newborn thing like insane, and uh, it's wonderful. So all is well, and uh, we're just so happy of God's gift to us. And I'm, I'm especially happy to be back and to just be back to this community, and I want to thank you all for your prayers and for your support, uh, and just that there's such a wonderful community to come back to. Uh, you know, one of the things that when you're a parent and you have a newborn in the, in the house there's something that you crave more than anything, and that's rest. Uh, that is rest. Because newborns don't have uh, the understanding that nighttime is when people sleep. Uh, they wake up all the time, and uh, they want to eat all the time. And so you, you're just trying to find sleep where you can. And so you just crave rest, like a nice, deep sleep. You know, but rest is something that we all crave, right? Some of you get a great night's sleep, uh, but 
rest on a deeper level, outside of just physical rest, we crave soul rest and emotional rest and relational rest and career rest. Many of you are trying to find your place in Miami and you want to feel at rest here. And so much of our striving and our focus and our, our, our desires that motivate our behaviors are to find rest in different areas of our life. We want to experience that. And the Bible says a lot about rest, and Jesus speaks a lot about rest. There's a really famous passage where Jesus says this in Matthew 11. You can read on the screen behind me or on the app. It says in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus is saying, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. For your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, a yoke is something for those of you here that aren't farmers like me. A yoke is a, a device. I don't even really know what it looks like. I think it kind of goes like this. It goes on the back of an animal, oftentimes an ox, and a farmer would use a yoke to direct an animal to their work. So it'd be on the shoulders and around the neck and you would be able to steer the animal to where they need to go. You would guide them to their work. What's interesting about this passage here is that Jesus doesn't say this. He doesn't say, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will remove your yoke. He says, come to me with your heavy yoke, and I'm going to give you a new one. See, the reality is, is that we're all carrying something on our back, on our neck, that is guiding and steering us. Whether it's a desire for an increase in money, whether it's a desire for acceptance in society or in your work, whether it's a desire for recognition, whether it is just a desire to figure out your own truth and, and run after that, whether it's a desire to somehow please God through your religious behavior, whatever it may be, we all have yokes that are steering us and guiding us into different places in life. They're guiding our thoughts, our actions, our behavior, and we believe that these things will bring rest. And Jesus says here that everything apart from him that is guiding you to your work, that is steering you, that isn't him, is going to be burdensome. It's going to be heavy. It's going to feel like you're constantly striving and you haven't quite grabbed a hold of that rest that you so desperately seek. So he gives this promise. It's a wonderful promise. He says, come to me. And I'm going to exchange your heavy burden and your heavy yoke for a light and an easy one. And it's going to provide you the very thing that you desire, which is rest. And he says how, how this happens is when you come to him, you have to learn from him. Come to me, and I'm going to give you my yoke, and you can learn from me. And then that's going to provide rest to your soul. Tonight, when we're beginning episode two of our new series, The Gift, as Pastor Tommy started last week and looked at Jesus as the model, tonight we're going to see what it means to learn from Jesus, to take on his yoke that brings us to rest. And specifically, we're going to look at the spiritual practices that Jesus modeled that we're called to model. And these are the very things that will guide and shape our life and bring about rest. So we're going to jump in. I want to say something, and if you uh, have notes, I want you to write this down. If you have your phone or your Evernote app, 
you can pull it out. I want you to write this down because we're going to unpack this throughout the entire sermon tonight. And that's this statement. Spiritual practices are guaranteed places of transformation. We're talking tonight about spiritual practices, the spiritual practices that Jesus has modeled. These spiritual practices are guaranteed places of transformation, providing rest. But before we jump in and begin to unpack what these spiritual practices are, we have to put up a few guardrails. Uh, And the guardrails are this. Spiritual practices and engaging in them does not make you a Christian, nor does it impress God. That's really important to get at the very beginning. Because Jesus says something, before he says, learn from me, he says, come to me. Right? In order for you to begin to engage in these spiritual practices and see the transformational power that is guaranteed through them, you have to first come to Jesus. You have to come find him in faith and meet him. As we celebrated two weeks ago, the gospel story that Jesus is the Son of God who died the death that we deserve on the cross, paying for sin, was buried and came forth victorious, resurrected on the third day through faith in the fact that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, fully man, fully God, died for your sins and rose from the dead. When you come to Jesus like that, then you can begin to learn from him and apply these spiritual practices. But if you think that just applying these to your life will make you a Christian or give you a relationship with God, you're mistaken. Or if you think that by applying these things to your life in some kind of religious manner, you're going to impress God. That's not true either. You see, God is impressed by one thing, and that is Jesus. He's impressed by your relationship with Jesus through faith. That's what connects you to God the Father. And so it's important that we begin there and we speak about that because All these practices and disciplines that we're going to unfold tonight, these are the very things that will bring health to a relationship that you're already in with God. They don't give you a relationship with God, but they bring health to a relationship that you're already in with God. You could say it like this. These spiritual practices do not save you, but these are the very things that saved people do. These practices are what we've been called to put on our shoulders as the yoke of Jesus. I also want to say one other thing, and that is this. The spiritual practices that we're going to discuss tonight are not spiritual gifts. You're probably wondering, it's, you know, week two in the series, and the series title is The Gift, Spiritual Gifts in You. We haven't talked about spiritual gifts yet. We have the whole rest of the series for that. So come back next week where we start talking about spiritual gifts, which are unique gifts that you receive And you don't receive all of them. There's very specific gifts that God gives to each person that comes to Jesus. And we're going to begin to unfold and unpack that. I think it's going to be really uh, powerful and challenging for a lot of us. But you see, before we can begin to discover the spiritual gifts that maybe God has uniquely given you, if you're a person of faith, he has given you spiritual gifts. We have to begin to understand what are the spiritual practices that we're called to live and engage in. Because in these places are the very places that we discover our spiritual gifts. This is what it means to learn from Jesus. So you're probably wondering, what are the spiritual practices? Before I tell you, I'll tell you this. There's like a lot. There's like way too many uh, to list tonight. You would fall asleep. You'd be exhausted. You'd be overwhelmed. Uh, So I provided you uh, a very nice resource 
which is uh, if you texted in, hopefully you did. If you texted into our text number, you can just turn the back of your worship program. There's a number text high. You can get it there. If you text in on that link, you will see at the very bottom, I've given you two books. And these are the two best books you could possibly find that speak about spiritual practices and disciplines. And they outline all of them, and it's very, it, many of them are very readable. It's not too difficult to engage with. It's not really high theological language. You can really engage in these things if you want to go deeper and begin to understand all the different practices that can bring transformation to your life. So I really want to encourage you to do that because I think it's so important that we engage in these and we live these out. So we're going to jump in and I'm going to highlight the main spiritual practices that we see Jesus modeling and the ones that we should begin to implement in our life and live out because they are, in fact, guaranteed places of transformational power. Guaranteed places of transforming power. And the first one is prayer. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. It is a spiritual practice. And here's what prayer is, talking with God. That's what prayer is, talking with God. You see, most of us here, maybe not most of us, but many of us, and I'm, I struggle with this at times too, Prayer becomes something where we go to God when we are requesting something from God or when we're in a really difficult situation and we need help and nothing else seems like it's going to pay off. And so maybe God can come help us like a lifeline. But it's not really a lifestyle for many of us. You see, prayer is to be scheduled and prioritized and spontaneous. That's important. You see, because it's a discipline and a practice, it should be something that is scheduled in your day. How many of us in this room have scheduled times of prayer? Where you wake up, you don't have to raise your hand. If you wake up and you say, that's amazing though, good job. Where you wake up in the morning and that's your time of prayer, or maybe in the evening, or maybe before you start watching Netflix, or on your drive to work, or on the train, where is it that you have prioritized and scheduled a time of prayer each and every day. But it's not only to be just scheduled, it's also to be spontaneous. For when you're, you're driving or walking down the street and you see something that kind of stirs in your spirit and maybe crushes you a little bit, do you think about praying? When you read a, a text or an update on somebody that's struggling and you say, I'm going to pray for you, do you pray for them? When you're talking with somebody and, and they're kind of sharing with you what they're going through, is there this kind of move in your soul to say, can I, can I just pray for you right now? You see, you can actually tell if prayer is a, a spiritual practice that you're following if you begin, to follow, you begin to engage in it spontaneously. That's how you can tell. Some of you here are probably thinking, Carter, the reason I don't like pray often is because I'm not very good at it. Like, I hear people pray, and they're like really good. They use really good words. They really like, it sounds like, wow. I don't even know what they said, but it sounds great. You see, I want to dispel that. Every single person here in this room is good at praying. Every single person in this room. Because prayer is talking to God. Prayer is not a certain formula or methodology. You don't have to use certain words. You don't have to like go back to some like old style of speak like thou is God. Maketh my plans prosper, you know. It's talking with God. Actually, God tells us that he is a friend to us through faith. So the way you would speak to a friend is the way that you would speak to God. Now, there's different kind of structures and, and kind of methods to praying that can be helpful, but prayer is just talking to God. 
just being honest, just talking with God about what you're going through, what you're feeling, what you're struggling with, praying for other people. Prayer is simply talking to God, and it's something that we shouldn't neglect, but I think it's one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines and practices. You see, there's a promise in Scripture, and that's this. Through faith, when you come to God in prayer, you are entering the presence of God every time. Whether or not you realize that you're entering the presence of God. There's a promise in Hebrews that when you come and approach God with confidence in prayer, you're coming to the most holy place. You see, in the temple, there was this place that was called the most holy place, the holy of holies. And only one man could go in that room one time during the year because that's where the presence of God was. And the promise is that through faith in Christ, you could enter the presence of God that was reserved for one man one time a year because it's such a powerful place where transformation happens. You can enter that place at any moment, any day, at any time. Why would we not take advantage of that? Why would we not engage in that and schedule that and prioritize that and be spontaneous in praying for others? So prayer is the first spiritual practice we're going to highlight tonight. The second one is fasting. And fasting is dependence upon God. Fasting is not not eating hamburgers for a week. Fasting is dependence upon God. Now, some of us here have fasted before. Maybe some of you have never fasted before because you're a little bit confused on how it works. Fasting is not about just not eating food. That's really important to understand. It's about restricting and removing an integral part of your life for a season of time. So it can be food. It can be caffeine. It can be TV from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. because that's the thing that you do every single night. It can be not looking at Instagram the first thing you wake up in the morning. Whatever you want it to be, an integral part of your life that you remove for a season of time for a very important reason, to depend on God with that time you get back. You see, if you fast from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. and you're not going to watch TV, that's normally what you do when you get home from work, but what you do with that time, because you don't want to be bored, is you hang out with your friends till 10 p.m., and then you come home, and that's when you watch TV. That's not fasting. It's not about what you sacrifice. It's about what you do with the time that you get back. Do you take that time where you give up a meal, where you aren't watching TV, where you're not checking your phone, and do you, do you pray, and do you sit, and do you bring some other spiritual practices into your life to depend upon God in those moments? So he can guide you and lead you. The next spiritual practice is study. And study is engaging the mind in the written and spoken word of God. So everyone right now, pat yourself on the back. Every single person here is engaging, as long as you're paying attention, in the spiritual practice of study. You see, this is actually a discipline to engage your mind in the written and the spoken word word of God. Now, if you believe that there's actually power in God's word and that there's power in God's word preached and that this is actually a spiritual practice and discipline that you should engage in, then it should inform what you do with this time, which means this is not a passive moment. You should maybe have a, a moleskin notebook to take notes, or maybe you take notes on your phone, or you write questions to yourself. However it is that you engage your mind thoughtfully and with intentionality in God's Word when, it's, when you're reading it and when it's spoken, 
You're to treat it like a spiritual discipline. Like there's actual power that can transform your life when you read and when you listen. The next one is simplicity. Some of you are like, I don't like this one because I don't like wearing only sandals. That's not what simplicity is. It's practicing contentment. You see, living a simple life and engaging in the spiritual discipline of simplicity isn't about not having nice things. It's about what, how do you feel and what is your spirit when you don't receive the nice thing that you desire? You practice contentment. So you could really want the next iPhone that's going to come out for all my iPhone users or the next Samsung blow up in your pocket, whatever that one is, that they're going to launch coming up. You could really want the next iPhone, but when it comes around and you check your bank account, you don't have enough money to purchase it, or maybe it's sold out because you didn't reserve your phone, how do you feel? Are you okay with it? When you don't get what you desire, are you okay with that? Are you content? It's practicing contentment. And that's hard because we're people of envy often. I know I am. We always want something new and better. When we don't get what we want, it kind of crushes our spirit again a bit. We're to practice contentment. A few more, we have uh, another spiritual practice is solitude and meditation, which is time alone with God. You know, we've, we've done this a few times here as a church. We've had guided meditations, and that's a really wonderful way to spend an uncluttered moment with God and meditate. But this is something you can do on your own. You don't have to have somebody to guide you. It's about creating a moment and a, a space where you can listen and you can reflect and you can be alone with God with no agenda. Meaning you go home or you go to a park or you go to the beach and you take 10 minutes and you put your phone on Do Not Disturb and it's just quiet. And you don't go in saying, God, I, you're going you're to teach me this, and you're going to show me this, and I better get something really profound out of this. No, you just arrive before the presence of God, and you simply just sit and say, God, I just want to be alone with you, and I trust that you're going to lead me to something. And trust that the Holy Spirit will actually lead your mind to see what God wants you to see, to feel what he wants you to feel. I want to give a challenge to everybody. Three times this week, there's a little action step. Three times this week, find 10 minutes and just take an uncluttered moment and sit alone with God. Turn your phone off, no music, complete silence. Some of you are terrified by that. When's the last time you had 10 minutes of no sound? I I'm scared of that, I'll be honest. Because we're su such a noisy world where we don't ever practice solitude and meditation, but it's so important. The next one is service. Service is a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual practice. It isn't something that you only should engage in when you have the time in your schedule. Maybe that's a challenge. Service is both service to the church and to people as God presents opportunities to you. You see, the, the Spiritual practice of service isn't about receiving recognition, isn't about checking off some religious check mark that makes you feel like you're impressing God because, remember, spiritual practices are not about impressing God. It's about serving other people who may never know that you're serving them because you're serving them for Christ. So there was a group of people yesterday that were packing these boxes for these women that are in prison in Homestead. They're most likely never going to meet them. They're writing letters to them. 
that go in the boxes with all these items they're going to receive. But that's service because they're serving, and we as a church are serving them because we're serving them for Christ, for His name and for His glory. And the way that you learn and engage in the practice and the discipline of serving is you serve, is you just start serving. You sign up, shameless plug, join the gather team. We need more people. (laughs) The next, the last three spiritual practices I want to highlight tonight is confession. And confession is telling the truth about sin. It's telling the truth about sin. It's going to God with your weakness and your brokenness and your sin and telling the truth to God about who you are and what you struggle with and what continues to plague you. And it's telling other people you trust. So unfortunately, we live in a a society and in a culture where we're told to hide our weakness. How many of you feel that? I know I feel that. Hide your weakness. Pretend like you have everything together, like you're strong. So we don't want to expose our brokenness. We don't want to share our sin. So it makes it really difficult for us to share our sin with God and especially difficult to share our sin with other people. But there's a promise in Scripture that I think a lot of us miss because we're so concerned about protecting our image. And the promise is this. When you confess authentically to God and to other people you trust, there's healing brings healing. Notice I use the word authentic. When you authentically confess your sin to God and to trusted others, there's healing. You see, there's healing because what you come to find is that God loves you despite your sin. There's grace and there's forgiveness. And when you come around other people, you're going to find that support and that encouragement. But it has to be authentic. It can't just be you sit down and you pray and you're like, I'm, I'm supposed to confess sin, so God, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I'm sinning. It has to be authentic, not just a religious action. You can't just be around a group of people that are kind of sharing what they are struggling with and you feel the pressure to share too. And so you say something like, yeah, I'm struggling. I uh, spend too much time at work. You're like, yeah, everyone does <laughs> It has to be authentic and genuine from your heart. And God promises it's a guaranteed place of power and transformation. It's healing when you're honest and confessing. The last two is corporate worship. Corporate worship is giving attention and praise to God with his people. This is a spiritual practice. What you're doing right now, another pat on the back, pat on the back. This is a spiritual practice and discipline that you're engaging in right now. And it is really important that we engage with God and we praise God and we worship God individually. But the best place to praise God and to worship Him is in community. Did you hear what I said? The best place to worship God is in community. You may be thinking, I don't really like how that feels. But that's true. It's true. Here's why. If you see all throughout Scripture, when there's profound healing and transformation in people's lives, it happens in community. In fact, there's a command that when someone is struggling or they're seeking healing, they're to gather together with the church 
and the church and its elders will lay hands together as a community on them and pray for them. Because there's something unique and something powerful about God's people coming together and worshiping as one. In fact, our eternal destination is not just you and God. It's you and all of God's people together with God. That's, that's eternity. We together as a family of God in perfect relationship with God. You see, the best place to worship God and to give him attention and praise is together. And so this time is important. It's important that we prioritize it and that we engage in it and we become expectant that God can transform us through corporate worship. And the last one is celebration. I love this one. This is a spiritual discipline to celebrate, to be a person that expresses joy. You see, we should be the most expressive of joy. We have the most to be grateful for. Yes, times are hard and there is hardship. We need to be honest about our grief and we need to walk through those difficult times but we should be people of joy. There's a really famous passage in the New Testament that Jesus shares this parable. He says that there's this son, it's a prodigal son, and he takes all of his inheritance from his father, and he goes and he squanders it, and then he's kind of left with nothing, and so he says, I'm just going to go back to dad, and hopefully he'll take me back and maybe treat me like a servant. Something will happen. And he goes back, and he's afraid his father's going to judge him, and his father forgives him. And embraces him and hugs him and kisses him. And that's really the profound section and moment in the story when his father forgives him. But there's something that we shouldn't miss. Right after his father forgives him, he throws a party. He throws a party. He gets the robe and the ring and he kills the calf. He's got steaks for everybody. He has a party. You see, where to be people that party that celebrate, that are full of joy. And all of these things and many more are the very things that we're called to engage in and to live out because these are places of guaranteed power that brings transformation. These are the very ways that Jesus lived. You see, there's a goal of the Christian life, and the goal of the Christian life is to become more like Jesus. Jesus says, come to me. And when you come to me, I want you to learn from me. And this is what it means to learn from Jesus. This is a part of it, to begin to apply these things to your life. But see, if you're going to learn from Jesus and to think seriously about what it means to become like him, we have to think for a moment about what it means that Jesus became like us. You see, Jesus was constantly submitted to the Father's guidance, and he was in relationship with the Spirit. Jesus was living out these spiritual practices, and because Jesus lived them out in his life, we should. So the problem that we have is this. Sometimes when we look at Jesus, we think something like this. Man, Jesus is like obviously different than me. He's the Son of God, Savior, sinless, perfect, righteous, so just because Jesus did something doesn't mean that I should do it or I can do it. How many of you have felt like that? Like, this is Jesus. <laughs> this is me. Real big difference. Jesus says something that is really challenging to that thought. He says in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. 
He says, if you come to me in faith, you're going to do all the things that I've done and even greater things when I go to the Father because you're going to have the Spirit. The question you have to ask yourself is, was Jesus lying? Is he lying? Or can you really, through faith and reliance on the Spirit, do the things that Jesus did? And even greater things. See, part of our problem is that we believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man, but we don't really believe Jesus was fully man. Like, yeah, Jesus was a man, but he's kind of like a leveled up version of a man, you know? <laughs> like, and, and in a sense, Jesus... It's a leveled up version of a man because he's sinless, but he was limited like us. And he was even spiritually limited like we are. He says something really peculiar in John 15, 19. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, the son, speaking about himself, can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. How peculiar is that? Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own accord. I actually have to submit and rely upon God the Father to guide me and to lead me. And what he does is what I then do. Once I see where he's leading and where he's calling, I follow how can Jesus, who is God in the flesh, have to rely upon God the Father to guide him? Why would he need the Father's guidance? Because he's fully man. He was limited just as we are limited. It's a passage that we read tonight, and that's in Philippians 2, and verses 5 through 7, and I think it really explains it well. It says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though Jesus, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Sometimes we just like kind of run right through that passage, if you've heard that before. Saying that Jesus emptied himself, He's in the form of God, but he didn't take that into account. He didn't use his divinity as an advantage in his humanity. He was fully man, which means that Jesus needed the spiritual practices that he calls us to live out. He needed prayer and corporate worship. He needed solitude and meditation. He needed these things just as he needed the Father to guide him, just like us. You see, when the Hebrews tells us, the book of Hebrews says that Jesus can empathize with us in our weakness. He can empathize with you and with me because he's like us. He is limited like us. He limited himself as he emptied himself out, taking the form of man. You see, Jesus didn't pretend to be a man. He really was a man just like us. And so when Jesus says that you can do all the things that I've done and even greater things, he's not lying. You see, through the Spirit, as you come to Jesus and you learn from him, 
He will lead you and guide you as the Father gives you guidance through spiritual practices to do great things and to find rest. Jesus modeled the life that we're called to live. Think about every spiritual practice that we listed out. Jesus prayed constantly without ceasing. It was both scheduled and prioritized and spontaneous. Jesus spent, had times of solitude and meditation, literally times where he told his disciples, I'm going to go away by myself and spend time and depend upon God. Jesus fasted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He studied the scriptures and he memorized the scriptures. There's a, a, a passage where we see Jesus when he was 12 years old impressing the religious leaders in the temple with all of the scripture that he understood and had memorized. He served others. That was the focus of his life, not looking for anything back in return. He engaged in corporate worship and went consistently and weekly to the synagogue and then traveled to Jerusalem for religious festivals. He lived a life of simplicity and contentment. Jesus constantly celebrated. It seems as if most of Jesus' life is at a dinner party. He's always at dinner. He's always having fun and spending time with people. In fact, his very first miracle is turning water into wine. He was all about celebrating. Some of you that have been following and taking notes, you're thinking right now, you left one out, Carter. Confession. Jesus didn't confess because he wasn't sinful. Jesus was perfect. But do you remember what I said confession is? Telling the truth about sin. Did Jesus tell the truth about sin? Yeah, all the time. He confessed the realities of sin and what it brings, its devastation, its striving, the opposite of rest. You see, Jesus modeled these spiritual practices in his life, and he looks to you and to me, and he says, when you come to me, and when you learn from me, and you take my yoke, you can do all the things that I've done. You can engage in your relationship with God and follow the guidance of God the Father the same way I did. If we believe it, we begin to apply these things to our life, and we know that there's actually guaranteed power and transformation that comes when we apply these practices and disciplines to our life. There's three things that will keep us from really experiencing transformational power, and the first is our need for instant gratification. How many of you struggle with instant gratification. I do, like really bad. If you, if you, you know, I've been doing this recently, you go on Uber Eats or Postmates and you, you know, order from Rice House Kebab or wherever you want to get your food and you see 20 minutes, man, my food's coming in 20 minutes and then you look back a minute later and it says 30 minutes, are you mad? I'm mad. <laughs> like 10 minutes, what are they doing? You know, like this is out of control. Many of you struggle with going to the gym and working out because the results are not immediate. I think that's why they put mirrors in all of the gyms so you can convince yourself, like, I'm seeing gains, you know, because you're, like, looking at yourself in the mirror. I said that all these spiritual practices are guaranteed places of transforming power, but I never said that the transformation is immediate. It takes time. See, transformation takes time. It's like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. And so if you begin to engage in these practices and you think about applying them to your life and learning from Jesus and taking his yoke upon you, but you don't see 
the results and the transformation in your relationship with God and, and with others right away, and you kind of give it up because you have an instant need for gratification, you're going to miss it. It takes time. And the second obstacle is a false belief. And that's leaving here thinking this. That's great and everything, but I, I really do believe that these things are for the super mature, knowledgeable, serious Christian. Not someone like me. I mean, I'm new in my relationship with God. I've tried to apply some of these things before, and I've failed. Jesus doesn't say, come to me, all of you who are mature in faith. He says, come to me. That, that's inclusive of everyone, regardless of where you're at, if you're feeling broken, if you struggle with discipline, whatever it may be. He says, come to me. I'm going to give you an easy and a light yoke. It's not burdensome. You can learn from me. And the last obstacle is you just make this religious. If your foundation for these practices is a religious foundation. You walk out tonight, you've taken a bunch of notes. You got all the notes that I put there on the app. And so you say, hey, I'm going to apply these in my life because I want transforming power. And so you look at your schedule, you begin to apply them. And you just engage in them because you feel like you're supposed to. Jesus did them. I'm supposed to do them. So I'm just going to do them. You see, God does not want the religious you. He wants the real you. He wants your heart. He wants you to be genuine. You don't need to walk out of here thinking, I got to do all of these perfectly like tomorrow. He wants you to bring your heart to him. Maybe start with prayer. Start by applying that to your life. And then as God leads you, begin to add these practices. Find the transforming power that God promises you. You see, when we do we find rest. It's the promise, present rest. But there's a great promise at the very end of the Philippians passage that is hope for us, even when we fail at applying these practices, even when we struggle with discipline. And that is not only does Jesus provide present rest, but he provides eternal rest. Look as it closes in Philippians 2, 8 through 11. It says, being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, when Jesus says, come to me, he desires for you first to come to him as Savior, as the God-man who died on the cross for your sin. That is the most transforming, powerful thing to believe and to experience is faith in Jesus Christ and who he is. That's a guaranteed place of transforming power, immediate through faith, because you're promised eternal rest in relationship with God. And then he says, once you come to me as Savior, confess me as Lord, meaning allow me to guide your life. Learn from me. Take my yoke. It's better than the yoke that you're carrying because it's not burdensome. It's light and it's easy. It will provide you the very thing that you desire, which is rest. Will you pray with me? God, we want to take a moment and just... Acknowledge that you're with us. 
Lord, sometimes we just rush through our time with you, whether individually or together now as your people. Lord, help us to believe and to know that this is, in fact, a place of transforming power, that you are uniquely present with us. Lord, we pray that as we prepare our hearts to come to the table, that we would privately confess to you, that we would tell the truth about sin, that what we struggle with, that when we come to the table, God, that we would receive grace and healing because you broke your body and you shed your blood for us and we have been given eternal rest through faith. Would you grant us present rest now? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.